Caribbean Cricket Podcast with me, David Oron. I'm delighted that today I'm joined by uh, Kat Jones from the uh, Can't Bowl, Can't Throw podcast. Uh, she's here to review the uh, recently concluded Tri-Series with me. Hello Kat, how are you? Hi there David, it's great to be talking to you today. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're, you're hopefully glowing with the, uh, the success, the glory, the, the, the absolute joy of winning this uh, Tri-Series. And uh, once again, proving that Australia is the best in the world, if not at rugby union, but certainly at cricket. <laughs> and I know zero, precisely zero about rugby union. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll stick and, to and this I'm, game. I'm then. also not a very good. Um, I'm not a very good sort of show, uh, sort of cheerleader for Australian cricket either, because I was barracking for the West Indies. To be frank. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 makes two of us. It's um, we'll we'll look back at the, the the whole tournament. We might as well start with the final. And um, yes, both of us then supporting West Indies. Apart from anything else, they got to the final. They put away South Africa. I do want to talk about South Africa as well. Where are they? But uh, interesting final. And we're finding out just now before we started recording that between us, we managed to watch the whole game, didn't we, Cat? That's incredible, and it was at your night time and my night time, but I think, yeah, between you watching the first innings and me watching the, the second, we managed to get the whole game watched. <laughs> well, it, me over in Islamabad, you in Melbourne, uh, it was a bit of an early start for you to watch the first innings, but I, I went to bed, I started 11pm my time, went through to about, two, no, 10pm my time, went through to about 10am, 2am, and then you were up in time to watch the second innings. So I, I'll talk yeah. us through. I'll talk us through the first innings. You could talk us through the second. Um, the, the, but at, at the end of the day, uh, Australia won, and men of the match, as it were, Mitchell Marsh with his intervention with the ball and uh, Wade with the bat. Some people have not been big fans of uh, Matthew Wade as uh, playing for, for for Australia. Does he deserve the plaudits? Actually, I quite like Matty Wade. He he comes from Victoria, so he's from my own state, and I know he gets a lot of he gets a lot of stick for not being a particularly good keeper. But he is an excellent batsman when when the moment calls for it. And there was only one moment, perhaps, in this whole tournament, and he managed to step up at that one moment. And that might be the one moment in the year for him, and perhaps even the one moment in his career, because <laughs> he wouldn't have if he hadn't have done anything in this match. He he would not be back as the one day keeper. I don't think. Yeah, yeah. No, he he he, he batted very well. It was a, it was a patchy innings from Australia generally. I mean, they put two seventy yeah. on the board, and they shouldn't have got anywhere near it. There was a lot of plaudits generally throughout the tournament, and even in this game for Jason Holder's captaincy. I confess, I I couldn't understand quite what he was doing. Australia, they weren't so much down and out, but there was no no attempt to put in the the, the coup de grace. Yeah, look, I think the West Indies could have had Australia out in the in the early two hundreds. They were like one hundred and seventy for six or something. Australia mm. at one point, mm. and then Wade came out and managed to get fifty seven, and it was three sixes he hit in the dying overs. Australia got way too many runs there, unfortunately. Yeah. 
Yeah, Wade, Wade, Wade batted well. He was uh, well supported by Stark and Cortinal. But um, yeah, some, there were some really strange bowling changes. You've got uh, Gabriel, who's being expensive, but through the tournament and the games he's played, has been a wicket-taker. And he had the big, yeah. big breakthrough in the, in the middle of the innings. And you know, if they'd, I just really felt if they'd have gone for the kill, they could have finished Australia off, and you know, around, even around the 200 mark. Yeah, I think at one point I, that's, I tweeted out, just bowl Gabriel, at goodness <laughs> sake. But he, I, I think a, a couple of balls later, he was actually off. So he, he went off with a groin strain at about, when there was about 10 overs to go, I think. And mm. Was it Ben Ben bowling better than Narayan, I think, in this match? Ben did, did, did better with the ball, I think. But unfortunately, yeah. Gabriel, I think he must have been injured there towards the end. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I just, I was a little surprised that he was held back as long as he did, um, that he didn't bowl that great up top, but anyway, anyway, I, I just it just seemed all seemed a little odd to me. Too many overs from Kieran Pollard, and Brathwaite bowled well, and he didn't bowl a full compliment. I just thought West Indies, you know, a little bit masters of their own downfall from that respect. But their reply, two twelve all out, having been forty nine without loss. Talk talk me through it as somebody who hasn't seen the highlights yet. <laughs> I'm very sad to say, <laughs> um, not, not, not too many highlights of the West Indian batting no. innings, but uh, I, I guess the highlights were Mitch, Mitchell Marsh, he managed to take um, three three wickets in very quick succession. I'm just having a bit of a look at how quickly he did that in, in the space of a couple of overs. Yeah. Hazelwood, of course, got five five wickets in the match, but he, he wasn't really, I mean, he didn't win man of the match, um, Mitchell Marsh did. Right. He was really, uh, Mitchell Marsh was really incredible at the at the right moments in this particular final. He, uh, let me have a look, where, where are my figures? I've, I've lost my Well, I've got, I've got them in front of me. I, um, I, I, I switched my, remember to switch my computer on, which is more than I often do with these, uh, with, with podcasts. Yeah, three for 32, uh, Mitchell Marsh. But um, yeah, yeah. haven't gone from 49 without loss, West Indies. Reduced to 72 for four, with Marsh um, taking three of those in, in the top order. Really, yeah. he got rid of uh, Bravo and Samuels in quick succession. Um, yeah. And Hazelwood sort of finished off the, the, the tail. West Indies always clearly behind the chase. Yeah, and look, I think the, the funniest thing about this bowling uh, bowling attack, Stark, of course, was back in, in the match. We'll talk a bit more about Stark, perhaps. But the funniest thing was that Hazelwood's Michelle, he got five wickets, sort of denied mm. denied Stark his uh, 100th, 100th wicket. <laughs> he went wicketless in this match, and he was only looking for another couple of wickets to get to his the fastest ever 100. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, Hazelwood is the one who, who got the credit there. Yeah, he's, he's a good bowler, Hazelwood. I was... Uh... Really, really pleased how badly he bowled in the uh, the Ashes last year because I feared he would be uh, uh, the new Terry Alderman and destroy destroy England. I think he might in the future. Stark yeah. is is you know we're going to make analogies is is the 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 new Johnson and uh, whether he does that with the red ball and the way he's done it with the white. Um, but Stark, it's good to see him fit bowling again. He's he's a world class performer. And, I mean, he was rested repeatedly during this series. There was a bit of a, a, bit of a joke about him only playing every second match. And I was saying he, did, he does more resting than my cat. <laughs> he was... I reckon he was he was possibly rested for his eyesight. We saw him in this final lose the ball. He was going for a high catch on the boundary and lost the ball completely. He had no idea where it was. So perhaps he 
he was rested for his for eyesight reasons during this series. <laughs> well, he's, he's, he's yeah, you know, got got tired eyes. It's it's, it's quite understandable. And, and Barbados can get very hazy at this time of year. Uh, a lot of the crops are <laughs> being cut and things. No, no, no. It's it's it, there might 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 be some allergic reactions. Um, and overall, how much of the tournament did you watch? Did you enjoy it? Is a tri-series like this really a worthwhile thing? Oh, I love the tri-series. People were saying it was pointless. It's not at all pointless. It's as pointless as any cricket match is. How, point, how much point does any match have? Uh, this tri-series was... It was one of the best tri-series we've had for a long time. We, we, they don't even run tri-series very often. But the fact that every team beat every other team repeatedly, yeah. there were no two teams won a match in a row for a long period of time. You know, West Indies beat Australia, Australia beat South Africa, South Africa beat Australia. It was... It was really exciting. It looked like it was going to go all the way to the wire, and it did. In fact, Australia had to win their final match. South Africa had to win their final match in order to make the finals, and it was it was incredibly exciting. And and I think the the best thing about this tri series was this sort of resurgence of the West Indies, who everyone everyone yeah. thought they would lose every match, and they and they certainly didn't do anywhere near that badly at all. Yeah, no, I, I, I entirely agree with you. Particularly on the West Indies front, this is my. Yeah, my passion. Uh, obviously, I'm an England supporter, yeah. but West Indies is, is is my passion. That's why I do a West Indies cricket podcast. And there's been so much doom and gloom <laughs> around West Indies for such a long time. Yes, they've had this great start to the year, but there's still this continuing furore about whether Gail, Sammy, Bravo should be playing, and that they, that they're useless yeah. without them. Well, they they proved the opposite in this tournament. Yeah, and it's, it's look, they are, there's some older players in the team, but there's a couple of young ones, and I know that Shannon Gabriel has been repeatedly injured, but, boy, he's fast. He was so exciting to watch, particularly against South Africa. You know, getting, uh, it was, it was, uh, was it, that second last match where he, I think mm. it was a wicket maiden to get AB de Villiers in about the uh, in the middle of the match, and he was bowling at 145 kilometres an hour, and mm. it was just incredible. Yeah. That was that was his average. He, he was he was bowling, you know, up, up around 150 kilometres an hour at different times. He was incredible. Yeah, he's 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 actually been a, a very pleasant surprise to uh, West Indian followers. Many of them, uh, myself included, were a little bit bemused when he was picked in the ODI squad, thinking, well, what what what's he doing? in that because he's never really been an ODI cricketer but a fast bowler is a fast bowler mm. and he's he seems to have upped the he's, he's ramped it up he has been quicker he was more uh, imposing and in a 50 over game where taking wickets has a huge value he was an important part of that attack and, and in a way that before him early in the tournament Jerome Taylor wasn't yeah and I, I was a bit I was a little bit worried he wasn't bowling at the 10 over spells so I was worried about him being injured or, or possibly they were using him in, in shorter, sharper bursts. And, and maybe that's what Holder needs to think about. He also doesn't seem to really have a slower ball, does he? He needs to, yeah. he needs to conserve his energy, I think. It would be great if he, he, could really, he could really push out at 120 kilometres an hour regularly, a couple of times and over, and um, get a bit of control on those deliveries. And maybe he'd last a bit longer because he didn't seem to do a 10 over spell that often. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was... Uh... I think the West Indies would have gone into this, would have settled for losing, getting to the final and losing um, with some dignity. Let's put it that way. They were they were bested on the day by the world number one team, and uh, I was seeing that uh, West Indies have already climbed up the table just a notch 
uh, and I've gone above Pakistan, so they're, they're back in the top eight, as it were. Ironically, far too late to have anything uh, to do with getting into next year's Champions Trophy. I mean, yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna, that's a bit of a shame. It is a shame, and we, we'll, we'll come on in a moment to talking about the ideas of ODI leagues and things. But just, just on that, for argument's sake, uh, West Indies, they're in a resurgence. Let's say in the next year, 12 months, that they really prove to be one of the best, or let's say top four, ODI sides in the world. Let's say in the next 12 months they climb up to fourth, sixth, something like that. Is it really sensible that the 2017 Champions Trophy is predicated on results from two, three years earlier? Yeah, it seems a bit ridiculous. I mean, that whole that whole system of the de- time delay with all of the rankings. I mean, is South Africa are ranked third in one day <laughs> in the world, or they were before this tournament, which is really just ridiculous. Uh, but any, anyways, West Indies have beaten the number one ranked side and they've beaten the number three ranked side. And you think that would have a little bit more bearing on the overall results for upcoming tournaments to make the tournament as, as good as possible. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I I know that it's been decided for the Champions Trophy, but I still don't see it as being too late to not revisit that and structure it so that West Indies are there. Um, I think that the tournament was limited in the first place to, you know, Wrongly, to keep out certain sides. And I don't think West Indies was one of those they wanted kept out. I think it's silly. I know I'm starting to sound like uh, one of those that voted to remain in the UK's Brexit vote and now wants a, a, a second a second vote because they didn't like the original. Um, but but I, I would, as a West Indies lover, I don't think it's too late for, for that to be addressed. Get West Indies back in the Champions Trophy. Well, look, I mean, people talk about, you know, pointless tournaments and they were arguing this tri-series was pointless. I don't agree with that at all. How pointless is the Champions Trophy then? I mean, honestly, <laughs> I'd throw that in the pointless bucket as well. <laughs> well, I, I, was, I was reading a, a piece by uh, a, a fellow Australian uh, writer of yours uh, just yesterday, uh, and he thinks that the, the pointless tournament was the, uh, the, the, the World Cup. A guy called uh, Dennis Friedman. Have you, have you come across him at all? Oh yeah, I have heard of him. He's 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 quite the troll, isn't he? <laughs> Cricket circles. <laughs> yeah. So, so you'd get rid of the Champions Trophy, but but, but keep the uh, the meaningless World Cup. Yeah, of course. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm completely, uh, completely opposite uh, the point of view there. <laughs> no, I, I know you've got a uh, a can't bowl, can't throw podcast coming up soon. I hope you uh, put him to rights on that. There's a couple of other things um, um, he's uh, he said in the last 24 hours, which uh, uh, yeah, as insulting as ever, of course. Uh, he said, uh, "There's an ODI <laughs> final being played right now, and no one cares." We need this proposed league started as soon as possible. And he also said, the first-ranked Australia has just defeated the eighth-ranked West Indies in a match that will be forgotten by about 3pm this afternoon. Well, it's four minutes to three there in, in, in Melbourne, Cat. I mean, please, you're I not... I remember it. Yeah, you've got, you've got five minutes. <laughs> if we could keep talking about it, you'll prove that Dennis is wrong. Absolutely. Does this mean that when we when we record our podcast tonight, he's not going to have a thing to say because he can't remember it? <laughs> Touche. You will have to put it to him and say, Dennis, there was a uh, you know there was a tri-series and you obviously have forgotten it already. So condemned. Yeah, condemned yeah, I think you're writing now. the running sheet for me right now. So. <laughs> <laughs> to return to seriousness, because this is a serious podcast, um, of course. Of course. Going back to this uh, this idea of the league, though, I mean, do, do you think it has legs? This uh, this idea of an ODI league? Yeah, 
I'm, I'm quite happy with the, the idea of two tiers in a league. That's that's fine. Yeah, I think anything to shake it up a little bit and to to change the way that the ICC organised cricket, I think, is, is a good plan and getting more teams involved is a good plan as well. Oh. Let's have let's have two let's have two tiers of eight teams. Why, you know, okay. and swiftly that will happen. Hopefully, yeah. yeah. No, I, I I don't oppose that. I confess, I'm a little uneasy when they talk about uh, extending Test cricket to 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 lower sides. I I can't. I can't say why, and it may be just some real old-fashioned fuddy-duddy sanctity of Test cricket nonsense that, that I've got going on. But it it just doesn't sit comfortably with me to have sides that are sub-first-class standard playing Test match cricket. Ireland, for example, mm. they've had some really good cricketers who are now falling away or have gone to other countries and things like that. They, they for example, uh, eighteen months ago. A couple of years ago, they went out to the West Indies to uh, play in the uh, 50 over tournament out there against Guyana, Trinidad, Tobago, etc., etc. And this is when oh. Ireland were supposedly really hot, and I actually backed them publicly to win that tournament. And they were a disgrace, they were an absolute <laughs> embarrassment. They looked like a bad minor county team. And this is a time when everybody's saying how weak and pathetic West Indies domestic cricket is. Um, they haven't impressed me significantly to be playing at the highest level. But, you know, perhaps I'm, as I say, perhaps, perhaps I'm the one with the problem. No, and I think, you know, anything that'll get more cricket, you know, on our, on our TVs, I'd love to see a, a bit more. And we don't get to see anything at the moment broadcast in terms of the various Associate Nation tournaments. And I think if there was a couple of tiers in a league, we might, we might be a bit more of a chance of a bit more exposure for those teams as well. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm all for that. I, I like the exposure of that. And I know there was a lot of criticism of the build-up to the 2020 World Cup. I actually thoroughly enjoyed that week preceding when we were watching Oman against Ireland and sides like that. I thought it was terrific. Yeah, as, the best matches. Yeah, well, as a precursor to the tournament and to see um, some of these guys, many of whom you know, even serious cricket watchers had not seen before, I thought it was wonderful. Mm. And so, out of the out of the West Indians, West Indian players in this tournament, who do you think was the best? Who would you pick as player of the series if it was going to be a West Indian player? Oh, blimey! I suppose it's got to be Marlon Samuels. Um, yeah, I was just going to say. Yeah, he did so well against Australia, particularly. He's, he's another one like like Shannon Gabriel that has belied, despite what he did in the twenty twenty World Cup final, belied expectations. Many people thought he was past it, not interested anymore and would have said time to move on from him. He proved in this series that uh, that he's still got talent at that level as well. Mm. He got uh, 92 against Australia for the win in that, in that, uh, that was a match-winning score, and uh, 125, I think, in the loss. So he, mm. he didn't, didn't score in every match, but when he did, you know, he, he made huge scores when he did. I think that he was man of the match in both of those, wasn't he? I, I can't th- quite remember. I, I think you're right. I mean, I confess, I still having been back in England for a month, I don't know whether I timed it just right or just wrong. That uh, I saw very little apart from highlights of this uh, this this tournament. Um, you know, by being away and also by being foolish enough to move into a new uh, seaside flat in the UK that doesn't have the internet yet. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. very bad call. It was a, a, a very bad call, but um, hey, it, it got me away from cricket for a month, and you always need to sort of have a little bit of a break to, to rejuvenate. Um, in terms of rejuvenation, how much rejuvenation does South Africa need? 
yeah, they're not looking the best. I, I was happy to see a couple of their players um, do do okay. I like I like Shamsi, the the mm. um, the Chinaman bowler. He's 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 good. He I, I think he's going to be great to look at in the future. But oh, they're looking pretty drab and dreary. The the rest of South Africa, they don't they look like they're very much on the decline in in all formats. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Uh, it, it, I don't. I don't care too much whether um, South Africa win or lose. I want. I want them to be strong in cricket. But uh, ultimately, yeah. when you're supporting other teams, you want to beat them. Um, so you, yeah. you shouldn't cry too much when when they've lost. Um, but at one stage they, they were they were topping this uh, this tournament, and then they really fell away as the tournament went on. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they did okay in the first first few matches, and maybe that was because that that initial pitch was very much a sort of a slow spinning pitch, wasn't it? I actually loved that. I loved that uh, that that first, those first three matches were probably my favourite part of this tournament. I know that the pitch in Barbados was fantastic; it was very even for bat and ball. But mm. I just loved the bowler's advantage on on the first pitch. That was beautiful. I, I, that, I, that was a Guiana, wasn't it? That's right. That's right, Georgetown. I think you make a very good point there. Uh, I think particularly in the you know, construction of this, whether it was done by design or or just good fortune, I think it's more likely the latter. To have to have a spread of matches being played on different pitches. I mean, they went on uh, to uh, some kits for the for for the second lot, and uh, yeah. very small grounds there. So you know, high scoring was always going to be the the likelihood. Um, but there's, there's, there always seems to be this fear in cricket. That if the, if the ball is spinning from early doors, then therefore it's a bad pitch. I, I never never go along with that. <laughs> well, that's actually in the rules of in the, in the laws of cricket. If it takes spin too early, it's a bad pitch. But uh, I don't I don't I don't like that law anyway. <laughs> well, it, it's I, I want to see cricket played on on all surfaces. I also want to see cricket played across different formats and different. I, uh, one thing I'll give you an example. It's however many years ago that um, they formalised one-day international cricket. All had to be 50 overs. Before that, in England, it played over six. The first couple of World Cups played over 60 overs. They went to 55 and uh, all over the place. And they said, oh, no, it's got to be made uniform. Well, actually, that's made it more boring. Let's have a multiplicity of pitches, a multiplicity of number of overs bowler because it has just got so samey and formulaic. Yeah, no, I really like I love that pitch in the first and the low scoring matches. Low scoring one day matches are always really exciting and they and they ended up being great matches that unpredictable unpredictable matches and that's that's fine for a one day tournament. No, I think you're right. I think it was I remember hearing Vic Marks on the Test match special a few years ago. He said um, Tell me of a low-scoring match you've ever seen that was boring. Mm, yeah, definitely not. Yeah, it gets it gets it gets boring when uh, it's a twenty twenty cricket, particularly if it's just a, a six fest. I'd I, I far yeah. rather I'd far rather see people having to fight to to get one twenty on the board. Yeah, and I prefer watching good, really good, spectacular bowling. I mean, you know, we had a bit of swing bowling. We had. A little bit of rain about. We had some pitches that needed rain cleanups. That perhaps needs a bit of work. But overall, the pitch preparation was great. Yeah, yeah. Just to return to uh, Australia for the, you know, to to finish off, as it were. Um, what have they gained from this? What have they learned from this tournament? Or has it just reinforced things they already knew? 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think Australia really learn anything when they win. So I don't <laughs> think it's gonna. They, they did they did lose a couple of matches. So what they learned was they probably shouldn't have rested Mitchell Stark for the matches that they lost. <laughs> they probably learned that they shouldn't have rested Zampa for the matches that they lost because mm. Zampa also was was rested foolishly for that uh, St Kitts I think match where it was turning. Um, I don't. I don't know what else they may have. They may. They look. They tried out um, a couple of different combinations. It was uh, um, Langer was was coaching for this series, mm. and I. I don't know whether Wade really has cemented his spot now. It's such a strange experience in Australia to have a keeper Neville for one day for, for tests and T20s, and then mm. Wade being the keeper for the one day matches. It's a very strange arrangement there. And uh, look, I'm happy enough with it. And I think, uh, as we were talking before, Wade may have cemented his spot there as a rescue rescue man. Yeah, yeah. Do you think do you think he has any chance of uh, putting Neville under pressure for for his test spot? I he look, he's possibly a better batsman than Neville, but not certainly not in a test environment. So he's. He's certainly done most of his his best batting in a one day environment, um, Matty Wade. So mm. I n- no doubt at all that Neville is cemented into the Test spot. Not so certain about the T Twenty spot. Yeah, pretty fickle in Australia. If there's a keeper that does well <laughs> over the summer in T Twenty Big Bash, then maybe you know one of those keepers could step up. Yeah, the uh, you were mentioning just just before um, Dustin Langer, who was there was coach uh, in lieu of. Uh, Darren Lehman for this tournament. Um, what has Justin Langer learned? But perhaps, you, what perhaps have people learned about Justin Langer? <laughs> I don't know if I've learned all that much about Justin Langer. He, we know that he loves Mitch Marsh. He thinks Mitch Marsh <laughs> is absolutely spectacular. I think he wants Mitch Marsh to open the batting and the bowling mm. in all three formats. He, he suggested that Langer that uh, Marsh could bat at number four for Australia in all formats. And yeah. And that seems, uh, I don't know, well, so could Hazelwood, but he wouldn't be very good at it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> he has been excellent. We can't take anything away from Mitch Marsh with him. He's been great with the bat throughout the series at, at moments when Australia was under a lot of pressure too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, I wonder whether his uh, report that he submits to the to Cricket Australia of this successful tournament will be quite as inspirational as uh, some of the, uh, the books he's penned. And I know you're a big fan of that kind of literature, Kat. Yeah, I read none of it. <laughs> so I'm sure he's had a lovely time and may I don't know whether Langer's convincingly put his hand up to be, you know, first in line when, when Lehman goes, but he's certainly had a he's had a nice little holiday in the in the region anyway. And uh yeah, just to just to to end, I know David Warner was uh, injured in, in this tournament. Um is is that a is that a long term thing? I don't know what he's got the weakest fingers in cricket, hasn't he? He's <laughs> constantly breaking his fingers and his thumbs. He's gone off. Uh, I don't know if he ended up having surgery, but it was his left index finger, I think, this time. And he didn't last too long. He certainly made an impact in the first couple of matches, and mm. he'll be back very quickly. He heals quickly, at least. Yeah, yeah. Well, doubtless. I think he needs a new glove sponsor. Well, he, 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 probably, he probably needs to be uh, playing more uh, IPL cricket. He hasn't played any for, well, nearly a month, has he? So. Yeah, he was. He was. He was. Very, he was. Very, I give. I will say he was very good in his uh, leadership throughout that tournament. I know in Australia you wouldn't have watched much of that, but he he was really really good in that tournament. 
Yeah, he seems to have a lot of you know a lot of potential as a as, with captaincy. So that's good for Australia's future as well. Yes, things things looking rosy on the Australian front, and uh, I confess it, it always uh, makes me feel rather unsettled when uh, there's uh, any form of ashes on the horizon. I really would like to see a return of Australia to the the, the times of about 1986 when they were. You know, that, that that's that's about where I'd like to see them. <laughs> and you'd like to see the West Indies in 1986 as well? Ah, now there's a great idea, yes. <laughs> I don't know about England in 1986, yes. Yes, good no. point. No, well, perhaps perhaps, perhaps, perhaps the, the rewinding 30 years idea is not such a good one. Um, yeah, we'll just do it for selected teams. We don't have to do it for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I certainly would like to... I would hope that, OK, West Indies didn't turn this into their fourth trophy of 2016 but it was it was a good effort i think they get a b plus for this and uh, yeah. i hope i hope it, it, it sees some some fruits in the future and, and and i'm joking about the state of australian cricket and, and so on but all of us surely we do agree we want to see west indies strong again don't we Oh, absolutely. Where are the West Indies off to next, David? Oh, where are the West Indies off to next? Uh, they've got to go out to the United Arab Emirates later on, uh, where they've yep. just reorganised. They were going to play two tests, five ODIs and some 2020s. Uh, they've done it very nicely. They've actually uh, turned it into what Martin Crowe used to refer to as the trivector. Uh, three tests, three ODIs and uh, three 2020s. Uh, that would be a real test to see where they are. Before that, of course, though, they've got a test series at home against India. And if they can come out of that with... Uh, well, they've got to aim high. If they, if they can draw that series, I think it would be a real quality performance. What they've got to stop doing is taking these heavy beatings from sides above them in the world that they've been taking for the last few years. Well, that's that's just test cricket. I mean, really, the West Indies are, you know, they're unbelievably strong in T20. They've done extremely well in this tournament. Why not aim high? Why not? Maybe maybe we're seeing a comeback in, in all formats for the West Indies. That's what I think. I hope so. I hope so. They've certainly got some uh, young and talented cricketers. And um, much as I don't want to write off Marlon Samuels and one or two others over the age of 30 yet, I would like to mm. see the West Indies focus there's much more around Carlos Brathwaite, Jason Holder, guys like that, guys that uh, hopefully are going to be the spine of the team for the next two, three years. I can remember a year ago, only a year ago, everyone was saying the West Indies wouldn't even have a team in 12 months. There, there were people saying the whole the whole uh, team and the whole arrangement for West Indian cricket would just disintegrate. So that's we're a long stretch from there in a very short space of time. I think it's an amazing effort from from West Indian cricket in total. And I know they're still, as you as you despairingly look on, in, they're in shambles. <laughs> but from an, from an outsider's point of view, it's an amazing recovery. Yeah, yeah. No, and I, I think they need to, to, to build on that and be aware um, of how the, the rest of the world perceives them. It's something that in the Caribbean that they fail to do as cricketers and administrators a lot. They look within their own confines and not what the rest of the world thinks of them. And I think it's important that uh, when they're down, they realise how how they're perceived. And when they're up too, and as as you say there, and basically they are on and up now. I reckon underrated, very, very underrated. And listening to some of the West Indian commentators on uh, those Barbados radio I was listening to and the... Uh, 
and the and the uh, the TV commentary. Mm. They as soon as the West Indians did anything slightly bad, they were right on top of them and yeah. you know, saying saying horrible things about them. And, and it was almost like we're used to being down and out. You know, we're used to them performing badly, and we're going to be critical of them. And yet, uh, I think that's you know that's the surprising thing. Maybe we're on the upswing already. I hope you're right, and I, I think it's a, a truth about human beings generally that, uh, and certainly West Indian commentators, that 30 years ago when they were on the up and unbeatable, they could do no wrong. And mm. the same was true of uh, Australian commentators in the great years of, uh, of Australia. Uh, West Indies cricket has been in such a fallow period that it's almost been a case of they can do no right. <laughs> I think the Australian commentators are just so dreadful that even when Australia's doing badly, they don't even notice. <laughs> they just continue to say, say cheerleading nice things about them, and uh, I think that's that's the the main flaw of Australian commentators the world over. Yes, yes, I'm sure. I hope somebody somewhere is going to do a podcast or something about the the state of Australian. Uh, commentary because you hear it continually from the outside world and from within the dissatisfaction with uh, the the Channel Nine Brigade these days of how appalling it is that the the, the Big Bash commentary is good and Ricky Ponting and others really good but Slater and the rest on uh, Channel Nine absolutely dire and they really have got to address that. Yeah, it wouldn't be so bad if if we could only hear it inside Australia, but it's so embarrassing to think that there's people around the world listening to that and thinking they're our best commentators. It's it's just awful. Every other country turns out a reasonable bunch of commentators. I mean, the the commentary team for for the TV broadcasting from the West Indies studio was just amazing. They were great, really great commentators, all of them. I think was was it Damien Martin was the Australian contribution to that? I'm I'm not entirely... Yeah, he was was great and all of the other commentators and I'm sorry, I don't know all of their names. They were, no. they were terrific. There was, there was what, what I heard from the likes of Ian Bishop, Jeffrey Dujon, Fazi Mohammed. You then, of course, had the South yep. Africans there, uh, likes of Mike Hazeman and characters like that. You know, g- g- generally, generally professional and balanced. Um, it, yep. it does brass me off when we watch the 2020 stuff, and it all has to get ratcheted up and get silly. With funnily enough, with the one exception of um, Danny Morrison, I can accept his over the top. <laughs> pantomime commentary as as a one-off as but when everybody else is a pale imitation of it it's it's just dire and dreadful yeah, Danny, and Danny Morrison is, is great commentating tests. Like, you just don't want to hear him commentating a T20. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I do wish that someday, for all sports, that we genuinely get a, uh, the option to mute the commentary and keep the ground atmosphere. Yes. I think we've probably exhausted the subjects today. They can, I think we've, we've got some of the worlds put to rights, but I do want to leave some uh, uh, problems and issues uh, for, for, for Dennis to sort out as well. I think that's only fair. Yes, he's going to have a hard time having already forgotten the series, isn't he? So please, you'll have to leave me and Dan and, 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 the, and the intern to talk about this series, I think. <laughs> well, I'm also hoping that one of these days uh, uh, that, that I'll get the chance to come up against Dennis in uh, Are You Cleverer Than a Fifth Grade Cricketer? Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, that, 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 yeah that, that really would be the uh, <clears throat> the height of my uh, own personal uh, 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 that, 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 that's my ultimate goal 
to, to prove I know more about cricket <laughs> oh, than... Watch out, because we'll, we'll hold you to that, because we have trouble sometimes getting anyone to dial in. Oh, I'd be delighted. I'd so be we'll, delighted. We'll be you up again. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can also get, get, get Dan to set some hard questions, not the obscure sort of <laughs> silly guessy ones, but things like, in 1932, this happened at Lord's, that, that sort of thing, because usually the old history stuff I know, and... Uh, Anyway, no, that would just be showing off. That'd just be showing off. No, no, no. no. Excellent. We'll definitely lock that in. <laughs> All right. Okay, no. Um, do remind us, though, uh, Kat, where we can, you know, for those who haven't found you yet, can't bowl, can't throw, uh, where, where can they find you? And, uh, and also yourself on Twitter. Yeah, so on, on Twitter I'm at CricketBatCat. And if you want to go and find the other podcasts uh, with me and Dennis, that's at CantBowlThrow on Twitter or you can just Google can't bowl, can't throw and you will find the podcast on iTunes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you can get links to most of that as well through uh, Dennis's website. Dennis does cricket, can't we? That's right, DennisDoesCricket.com. And let's not forget, of course, uh, to promote uh, your, your producer of uh, Can't Bowl, Can't Throw, Dan Liebke, um and his excellent uh, regular roundups of, of cricket. Absolutely. You need to go to danlibke.com and you'll find lots of wonderful things to read. And uh, and also, he's, he's, yeah, I think he's on the show tonight as well. I think you'll be hearing from him as well on this next podcast. Good, good, good. Because I've, I've been disappointed when he's been standing in the background too much. Man of that sort of wit and uh, intelligence shouldn't be sort of like incidentally on the show. He needs, he needs to be in the forefront. <laughs> we'll see if we can do do our best to stop Dennis from talking at all during this one, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I see a, a conspiracy uh, behind the scenes. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll watch for that uprising, and before before too long, we'll have the intern uh, uh, at the centre of the uh, of the show. Uh, I look forward to hearing that soon, Cat. Uh, that'll be out in the next uh, day or two. Um, thank you ever so much for spending some time to uh, to talk cricket with me. Yeah, great talking to you, David. Yeah, and uh, uh, I look forward to uh, catching up with you again in the future. This has been The Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean cricket podcast, with me, David Orme, and my guest, Kat Jones. And I hope you can join me again sometime soon. Goodbye.